Hello, everybody. Welcome back to uh, our continuing podcast series uh, dedicated to federal employees with advisor Kelly Fasterling. Welcome back, Kelly. Thank you. So we wrapped up last week talking about long-term care. Yes. And uh, we felt um, that it is a conversation that needed more than one episode, which I agree. Right. So let's continue uh, picking up where we left off. And for everybody at the end here, we'll, uh, if this first series that the podcast you've jumped on, uh, at the end we'll give you contact information and also where you can go to find previous recordings, uh, great information that's being shared uh, with federal employees out there. So let's get right into it. Um one of the questions we ended up with and I wanted to explore more is why would I get life insurance if I don't need the, uh, the death benefit? That's a question that comes up a lot. You know, if somebody's carrying their Fegley. Why would I need to continue it if I, if I don't, if it's just me or if, if I don't have any debt? Um, can you get into that a little bit? No, absolutely. Now, you, usually we think of life insurance as a risk mitigation tool. It provides a death benefit for those that might be dependent on us or, or need a little extra if we die. Um, but life insurance can also be a very interesting living benefit tool. So it can provide an interesting investment platform if it is designed and structured and used properly. Okay, so let's let's get into that a little more. So you said investment vehicle. Right, right. Uh, you can use it as a way to grow and to save money as an alternative for other investment platforms because it has a whole lot of different benefits when you stand it up next to other investment assets like um, market-based money or other safe assets like uh, banking products or government securities. The hmm. other thing that it also provides, in addition to being a good investment vehicle, is assistance for you in later years. Let, let's say you have a chronic illness or a terminal illness or you go into a nursing home and you need access to more capital to kind of get through some of those those tough times later hmm. in life. Uh, life insurance can also provide a drawdown on the death benefit in certain situations. So it's a good way to not only provide for your family in case you die, but provide mm-hmm. for you in case you have chronic terminal or nursing home issues, as well as just a, a huge vehicle for saving money. Interesting. So let's talk about some of those advantages. Okay. Okay. On, on the saving money side? Yeah, yeah. So you're saying that, you know, as an investment vehicle, what what are some of those advantages on the saving side as compared to other tools out there, products, as I should say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's just kind of raise it up one notch and say if you are evaluating the perfect asset, what you'd really want to have is, is a, a term we've coined as lizard. Um, you'd want an asset that's 100% liquid. Um, so, you know, when we think of IRAs, we put our money in, but we can't touch it till 59 and a half. So not very liquid, but 100% liquid. We'd want it to be 100% safe. 
And again, putting money in TSP, G funds are safe, but others are not. We'd want it to have no expenses. We'd want it to have an incredible rate of return. And we'd want it to be as tax efficient as possible. That means tax efficient when we put it in, when we take it out, when it grows, and when it transfers to our heirs. That would be that very perfect asset. Well, frankly, if you ask me, you know, what is that asset? I'd love to have one of those. There's not one of those. But life insurance becomes one of those assets that gets really, really close. And I'm talking very specifically about indexed universal life, not term, not whole life, but indexed universal. And why do I kind of class it that way? Number one, it's 100% safe. You put money in. You don't lose money because of market risk like you might lose in your C or S fund due to market risk. It's tax efficient like a Roth is tax efficient, but it doesn't have all those IRS limitations that you're used to in terms of how much can you put in, um, in, in terms of holding it for five years, those kinds of things. It doesn't have those limitations. The rate of return is actually phenomenal, much higher than all, all other safe assets. So, it, And it also outperforms most market options. And the reason is because it doesn't take those dips. You think back to 2008 when, when we lost, you know, 38% in the market in those CNS funds. This asset class does not take those dips. If we have a dip, you get nothing, but you don't lose money. So the rate of return is very good, but it's also very liquid, meaning you put money in. And then let's say you want to uh, create another investment. I do a lot of residential real estate. So let's say you want to use this policy as your holding tank to save enough money to go make another investment. You put the money in, then you take a loan out. As far as the insurance company is concerned, the money's still there. So you're still earning on it. But now you take it out and you go buy, let's call it a single family home for for a rental. Now it's earning inside the policy, but it's also earning inside the house. So you've got that same dollar earning for you two times. Now That's everyone what the really refer to as the velocity of money. Exactly. Exactly. Now the, the downside we think of in terms of life insurance is we're buying a death benefit. So there's of course an expense associated with that policy and there is. There is. But some of these policies have what's called index crediting. So after 5 or 10 or 15 years, you actually have not only recovered the costs that you've put in to pay for that death benefit, but you're actually getting paid to be in the policy. So even the expense side of that perfect asset gets covered over time. Interesting. So you use your life insurance as the bank. I do. I do. So it's, you know, if you're going to do create, let's just go back to residential real estate. I do a lot yeah. of residential real estate. So what I do is when you're buying real estate, there's a down payment associated with it. You've got to put, you know, 25% down in these days. So you've got to save that money somewhere. So I can save it in the bank and earn absolutely nothing on it while I'm saving it, or I can save it inside my policy. 
So now it's sitting in the policy earning money. And then when I get enough to buy a house, I borrow against the policy. So let's, let's say it's earning 10% and I borrow it and I have to pay the policy 5% for that. I'm still making 5% on that money inside right. the policy. Right. At the same time though, I go buy a house and now I, uh, the house is making, let's, let's call it 15 to 20% with appreciation growth. So I'm getting a lot more uh, on my money than I would otherwise. So we call that kind of the power of and, you know, rather than or, you know, do I choose life insurance or securities or do I choose uh, residential real estate? I can do a couple things. I can choose life insurance and residential real estate and have it working in two different places for myself. That's an interesting uh, term. Uh, term or rather phrase you just coined power of and not or right right and there are very few assets where you get that opportunity to use that same dollar in two different places and have it recognized in two different places interesting so let's say i'm out there as a uh, federal employee and i'm i'm not i'm kind of kicking around long-term care I haven't really explored the details of it. I've maybe I've, I've got option B on my on my Fegley. Maybe I've got a couple policies. Maybe I've got an individual policy with Prudential. You know, what is the what is the first step with you? What I know it goes back. We talked about a discovery podcast previously, but somebody in that situation, let's say they're mid fifties. What you know? Where do you take them? What's the What's yeah, the, the first, yeah, the first step is really to have the conversation, get through the discovery. Let's see uh, what the best options and solutions are for you. Okay, we have to really understand your situation and see what fits, because maybe this life insurance concept is a good fit, depending on your strategy, but maybe it's not. You know, again, it takes that 5 to 10 to 15 years for the expenses to get covered. If you're retiring next year, it might not be your best tool, but it could be. It still could be. So it would be to have that discovery conversation, understand where you're at, where you're headed, so that we can kind of figure that out and make the best recommendation for you. Okay. So the bottom line is that as we've kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of you said uh, long-term care and life insurance could be an and, not an or. Exactly, exactly. And there are so many little intricacies on it uh, that it's – let me just share one more with you uh, that's, that's particular to my situation, but other people might resonate with this. I have three children. They're in their late 20s. They're boys. And um, for me, what I do not want them to get is a big payout at all. You know, I don't want to – die and all of a sudden they get a bunch of money and they blow it. I've seen that happen too many times. The way mine is structured is my kids will get a payout over 30 years. That gives them a whole lot of time to make a mistake or two year by year and figure out that this money really could be used for investing. So I I like that's just one extra little feature on the the my particular life insurance policy, but I find it of huge value 
that my boys will get paid over 30 years, and it gives them a lot of time to figure out how to use that money effectively. Now, they could be listening to this podcast. Are they aware of that? <laughs> my boys don't really even know that I have all of this in place. They know it's there, but they don't really <laughs> know what it's like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my parents raised three boys, and I think even to this day, uh, even though we're older, that's probably still the way of it's set up for us. So, uh, again, um, <laughs> it's a good right. idea. So, um, <laughs> you know, there's, I mean, it's, uh, I don't think people really understand, uh, life insurance and how it can be used as for state planning for um, legacies and mitigation of risk, um, but also with helping with other uh, investment asset leveraging and decisions. So um, I think uh, very educational. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. All right. So on to next week, uh, group savings plan, right? Let's move on to, to the TSP. Okay, and so uh, look for that next episode to be uploaded soon. We get a lot of questions on that, um, and there's a lot of moving parts to it. You may not have a lot of uh, account options with your funds, but there's very important decisions that aren't just uh, based on which of those uh, asset classes you choose, so we're going to get into that. Uh, in the meantime, somebody has questions on any of their planning, how they get a hold of you, Kelly? Okay, go ahead and reach out at 888-545-8840, extension 700, to get to my team. Or you can email me at kelly at govgovresource.com. Okay. And also, for listeners out there, uh, go over to Fed Checklist, fedchecklist.com. Type that in your browser and pull off uh, the 12 must-answer questions each of you need to address before retiring as a federal employee. You can also download a great report, workbook, and budget that will help you in preparation for uh, your retirement. Also, if um, if you uh, choose to reach out to Kelly, some of the questions she'll be asking. So, All right. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You have a great day. Okay. We'll be back, everybody. Thank you.